So, I thought I'd ask the obvious question to start off with. Am I a good person? I like to think that I'm a good person. I like to help others. I'm supportive. I make time for other people. All very good points of my character. But have I shown you the whole picture? I like to think of myself as a good person. Yes, I help other people, but I also enjoy being needed. I'm supportive, but only really of people I like. <laughs> and yes, I do make time, but mainly for my friends. So here's the truth. I am not perfect. Far from it, in fact. On my good days, and I mean my really, really, really good days, I sometimes think about maybe being a better person. How I could do better. But that does seem like an awful lot of hard work. <laughs> Frankly, I'm not a good person. And if I were you, I'd weigh up very carefully everything I have to say to you. <laughs> but here's the kicker. Am I actually any different from any of you guys? As an easy example, let's have a look at the Ten Commandments. Who in this room can say they've kept them all since birth? To have had no other God, to not have had any idols, have never misused God's name, to have always remembered the Sabbath, to have, not sorry, to have honored our parents, to, not, to have not murdered, to have never committed adultery, to never have stolen anything, have never lied, and have, no long, have never longed for things that do not belong to us. Now, I think I've managed a very, very shaky six out of the ten on this list. I mean, I'll let you guess at which ones. I'm not going to go <laughs> that much detail. But it's not a bad score, right? I mean, it's above 50%. That's, that's good, isn't it? There are plenty of people with a lower score than me. Lots of people who can't even claim to have got one on that list, to have kept one of those things from birth, right? I admit, some people have broken this list in far more spectacular ways than any of us. But that is not the point, and it never has been. It is not about how, many, how few rules we have broken. All that matters is the fact that we have broken at least one rule. We are all broken in, in some way. There is something fundamentally wrong with our very nature. We all want what is not ours, and we think of terms of ours, ourselves, our family, and our clan. We're quick to divide and faster to condemn other people. We are all broken. Now, in the Old Testament, this tells us why. And we're going to have a little bit of a reading from 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians? That's not even in the Old Testament. Sorry, John. You Genesis 2? Genesis 2, I do believe. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Now, this is the beginning, as we would call it. It all started with humans living in a perfect relationship with God, not needing rules of how to behave or how to treat others. There was simply only one rule. Don't eat from that tree. This is really quite simple. I mean, really simple. So we've got a perfect relationship with God. One rule, don't eat from that tree. Really, really, really simple. Let's read on and see how well we managed at that. So this is Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, eat from it rather, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now we as Christians refer to this as the fall. As soon as Adam and Eve ate from that tree, as soon as they ate that fruit, as soon as they were disobedient to God, their nature changed. Humanity's nature changed. They knew shame and they hid from God. After this, the world has changed. God still loves us all, but he still wants a relationship with us. But this first act of disobedience has set us on a path that leads only to destruction. Our, our disobedience has fundamentally changed our relationship. Their disobedience separated them from God, and separation from God leads only to death. Sin, so the act of disobeying God, we helpfully refer to as sin. Sin separates us from God. As we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, we have inherited this nature. This, uh, our inheritance is a nature that is broken. Now, after Adam and Eve, there was a time before God introduced the law. And we couldn't figure out how to live perfectly and how to honor God. We could not get back to that perfect relationship with God. So then God introduces the law to show people how they should live. And we still couldn't get it right. God then sent messengers to show people how to live with the law. 
and we still don't get it. The Old Testament is not God trying and failing at lots of different ways to fix the relationship. It is God proving fundamentally that we are not capable of fixing this ourselves and that we need him. Again, I repeat myself. This was not God's plan A, plan B, and plan C, and then finally getting all the way down to plan J and sending Jesus. This was his plan from start to finish. Now, when people sinned under the old law, they had to do two things. Firstly, they had to say sorry to God, and second, they had to make a sacrifice. Now, this is the interesting thing. Just saying sorry does not remove the consequences of our sin. In the same way, if I committed a crime out there in the streets, I can be as sorry as much as I like, but that should not absolve me from the consequences of my actions. Our laws would not be very just if all I had to do was say sorry afterwards. Now, God is just. And if we, sorry, God would not be able to be just if we only had to say sorry afterwards. We had to actually pay the price for what we had done in disobeying him. Now this brings us to Jesus. So God has shown that we cannot live correctly with the law. He's shown that we cannot live perfectly with the law. And we can't even handle living perfect lives with him when he sends messages to talk us through how to do it. So what does he do? He chooses to come himself. He came to earth himself showing us how we should live. But that's not the only thing he does. He then humbled himself, serving as the perfect sacrifice to atone for all of our sins. All our sacrifices up to this point had been flawed. Now, yes, I know in the Old Testament it says that you are to sacrifice animals without blemish in accordance with the law. But these animals were of this earth. And this earth is inherently flawed after that first act of disobedience to God. When Jesus came, on the other hand, he was perfect in every way. Now, it says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin are death, that all those that sin die. But Jesus was different. He did not sin, but he did die. He was dead, but had, nothing, had done nothing to deserve death. Jesus, in effect, has basically inverted the system. We sin, we die. Jesus didn't sin, but still died. That equation doesn't balance. And therefore, death had no hold over him, and after three days, he came back to life. Now, because of this, by believing in Jesus Christ, that he was perfect, that he was God, we can ask him for forgiveness, and he takes the price of our sin upon himself, and we can be free of it. That is why those of us that believe call him our savior. That is why we refer to this as the good news. Jesus saves us from destruction. Jesus is our savior. Now, I'd like to spend a little bit of time just focusing on that. If I can get out of PowerPoint. And just have this track playing in the background while we just focus on that for a little bit.
Now that would be quite a fitting end for my talk. Apart from a question that I kept coming back to. I know this is a little unorthodox to do two talks. And I would say I'm sorry, but frankly I'm not. And that's because this part is where I get challenged. And if nothing else, then that's good for me. So I hope you'll indulge me. I absolutely love this billboard. For those of you that are struggling to see or listening to the recording, on the screen is a picture of a big red billboard. On it, in bold white text, it says, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And at the bottom, under the text, some absolute lovable rogue has, with a can of spray paint, graffitied the words, no, we won't. I love this billboard. Every time I see it, it makes me smile. And as my wife will tell you, I am incredibly stubborn. Now, the reason that this talk isn't finished is because I kept coming back to a question. And the question that kept popping into my head was, I have already accepted Jesus. Do I still need a savior? Now, I'm sure that I'm the only one in this room that sits back and relaxes when the speaker starts to talk about Jesus, our savior, thinking that this isn't for me. I'm already saved. I don't need to pay attention to this one. Pull the phone out, start texting, start playing that game. I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm not entirely sure if that was my sister putting her phone away. <laughs> time and time again throughout the New Testimony, we see Jesus engaging with people that are unclean and getting flack from people who thought they were right enough with God. People who thought that as they were not as bad as other people, that, they were, that the other people were worse than them, that they were good enough for God. Now I'm going to ask Mandy to come back up and read today's passage again. But before that, while she's making her way to the front, I just want to have a look at some context. So currently, Paul is preaching the good news. And he's in prison because he's been preaching the good news. And he's continued preaching the good news in prison. He's literally doing in prison the thing that put him in prison. So he's consistent. He talks about how good, a Jew it, uh, how good a Jew he was, that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Everybody at that time could not fault Paul in any way. He's kept the laws, he's done everything he absolutely should be doing. He was a good Jew until he started going off the rails and talking about Jesus. And that leads us nicely to our passage, which I'll just find again for yourself. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. 
Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Thank you very much. So let's just run through that. What is the example that Paul's calling us to follow? Paul is telling us to live as he does, not holding anything back, not seeking glory for himself, but giving everything to God. To do everything for God, just as Jesus has given up everything for us. He warns the people not to be led astray. Do not be misled by the enemies of the cross, people who seek possessions of power and glory for themselves. Their minds are set on earthly things. He's telling them to be on guard against people who only focus on this world and not the next. Paul talks about our citizenship being in heaven. And this is a very odd phrase. What is Paul trying to say? He realizes that this life is temporary, that this world is temporary, and he ident- his, identify, he, his identity is rooted in heaven. In the same way that we think of ourselves as British or from Shropshire or supporting this team or that team, Paul first and foremost thinks of himself as being sent from heaven, well, being belonging to heaven, that heaven is his home where he longs to go back to. Did you notice the tense in this passage? Paul is looking forward, he's not remembering. He's awaiting, awaiting his savior. Jesus has already come and has died on the cross and at this point has risen from the dead. Jesus has saved the world. Jesus has saved Paul. But Paul is still eagerly awaiting Jesus to return. Well, why is this? We'll find out in a little bit, but. So, he then talks about the power. Jesus has the power to transform us. At the end of time, we will be fully transformed so that we'll be like his glorious body. Skipped a little bit, oh well. So Jesus has the power, the power of all earth and all on heaven. He is, after all, God on earth. He brings all things under his control. Now Jesus has the power to transform us, both now and at the end of time we'll be fully transformed. This transformational power, is it instantaneous or over time? My answer is, I think it is both. The more time we spend with God, the more we are changed, and this is a gradual process over time. But when we die, there is a sudden transformation of us coming into our fulfillment in front of God. When we first accept Jesus in our lives, this transformation starts. And then by building a relationship with God, it continues to grow on a daily basis. And when we pass from this world into the next, Jesus completes that transformation. Now to my mind, Jesus saves us in three ways. He did save us on the cross. He does save us when we turn to him daily to transforming our lives. And he will save us at the end of time when we are fully transformed. 
What does this mean for our own lives? There are two ways, there's no two ways about it. We are responsible for our own lives. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. I wish somebody else was responsible for mine. It would make my life so much easier. But we are responsible. If you think of your own lives as a garden, it is our responsibility to weed that ground, to prepare the soil so that God's word will have space to grow and bear fruit in our lives. To look at our lives and to move away from sin. To come to Jesus with our whole lives daily to ask him to save us from the weeds that we keep letting in. This is not easy. Jesus never said it would be, but he did say that he'd be with us for the duration. The truth of the matter is that this year, thousands of Christians will turn their backs on God and walk away because they did not choose to submit to him instead. And just like the billboard, we have a choice. We can either be stubborn and ignore God, thank him for saving us on the cross and then ignore whatever he has to say about the rest of our lives. Or we can submit to him, trust in him, spend time with him and build a relationship with him. Admitting that we need, that we still need him as our savior daily. The final truth of this talk today is we all need Jesus. He is our savior. Now, I've got a video I'd just like to play to finish with while the band comes back up to lead us in a time of reflection. If you guys have been challenged by anything or want any prayer, then I'll be absolutely honored to do that with you.
Jesus.